If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. Today, our good friend Ramesh Srivastava of the band Voxtrot returns and we talk about his relationship and what it's like to be in one after seeking it for so long. Also find some great resources that we mentioned in the episode notes. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. I'm Dan Epstein, recording artist, Enneagram 4 at ADHDJ. I'm Justin Waring Crane, model, actress, singer, dancer, mathematician. So I guess what I want to talk to you about is romance and relationships because I've only known you as a single person. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I've only known me as a single person. Right. So you're getting to know your relationship self. I'm in what our mutual therapist, Chris, calls movie number two. Yeah. When do you think that started? I mean, it would be really easy for me to say that it started when we moved in together. Mm -hmm. I think that might actually be true. Really? Well. I guess I feel like I feel like it really started when we I think there was a point at which we decided like we're definitely exclusive. Um, But the fact that I don't remember when that was means that movie number two maybe more officially started when we moved in together. Yeah. So we've talked about this on another episode, but movie one and movie two are like movie one is basically the euphoric period of like meeting someone and falling in love with them. Movie Uh two is like when it's kind of like the music stops and you're left with yourself (laughs) and that person. Oh God, this mosquito. This mosquito is extremely ambitious. Um, But hopefully it's ambitions take it farther afield. (laughs) We'll see what happens. (laughs) So yeah. And I'm in movie two also. And my, like my period, I don't know if you experienced this, but like I went through kind of a gradual grieving period of movie one. And like, sometimes I feel like I'm still in it to some degree where it's like, you're just like, fuck, like I was so, I felt so contained by Mm -hmm. that experience. And like, that feeling of, well, like, it's crazy that I like don't have to be alone in certain ways that I was alone when I was single. And like, I get to spend time with this person, like at the end of the weekend, we're like together. Mm-hmm. And like, that feels so nice. And especially when there's just like a chemical sustenance happening mm-hmm. around movie one. But did it feel like abrupt to you? Did it feel like sudden? Or did it feel more gradual? The transfer into movie two? Yeah. Well, for us, it actually was necessarily abrupt because we were dating long distance the whole time of movie one. Mm -hmm. So it's like we knew that once we made the decision that we were going to rent this place together and Ethan, for those listening who don't know, Ethan was living in New York. That's where I met him. I lived in Austin. Now we live together in a little town outside of Austin called Lockhart. Mm -hmm. So Ethan moving down there to also not just far away, but to this little town from the biggest city in America uh, is obviously a big gesture. (laughs) So we knew that we had this huge event coming. Yeah. Um, So it was definitely abrupt. But actually, for me, I don't know how it was for Ethan. Once we made that decision to move in together, I actually felt 
much more comfortable. Mm. I know a lot of people talk about how like with the increasing of commitment or commitment made real, they kind of feel more scared than happy for a Mm. little bit or something. I've heard a lot, some people are like how that kills the fun for a little bit or something. That was not the case for me. I was really, really excited to move in together. And I felt like I just felt more at ease inside. Yeah. So I think we should take a little journey, like jaunt Mm -hmm. to um, when I, like for a lot of our friendship, you've been seeking a partner, like a certain partner who really was like compatible with you in terms of like being like a very conscious and like to some degree spiritual, although Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually an important component for you. And so like you had a certain pattern with like anxious avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. Safe to say that. Yeah, yeah. But was that always the case? Like, can you kind of like set us up with your experience with love and intimacy and Mm -hmm. like how you make sense of kind of the evolution of that that led you to really wanting a partner for several years and then eventually finding someone. Yeah. Um, So the first time that I notably fell in love was when I was 19. And this was my best friend. I lived in, uh, yeah, I lived in Glasgow at the time. And this was my best friend who was not gay. So it was highly um, contentious. Luckily, we, after the whole thing, after it ran its, after the drama ran its cycle, we remained friends. But Mm. um, anyway, I fell in love with my best friend. He he was, it was in a lot of ways unrequited and that was very painful, but there was real love there that neither one of us could really explain. And, but that's the first time that I'd really felt what I would call the force of love, like the mystery of love, Mm. where I'd been in a situation where I was just friends with somebody, not Mm. even thinking of them as, Mm. Mm-hmm. physically or sexually attractive. And then suddenly one day there was just something there so undeniable. Mm. And it was really crazy to me, like that, that love really kind of has a, has a life of its own, like that it is its own force mm. and that it's kind of, you can't see it at the time, but it's, if you open yourself up to it, that it's leading you to growth Mm. because that experience was like very hard, especially for about, you know, six months to a year after the heartbreak. But I saw how it completely opened me up as a human being. Mm. And it inspired a lot of, um, a lot of my early Voxtrot songs and right. It just in general, just, yeah, just opened me up to a deeper mm-hmm. layer of existence as a human being. And after that, I understood why people change the course of their entire lives for love or why people make such great works of art around love. Whereas before I felt like I, I was not cynical, but I felt like I was um, impervious to it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could just float around and be happy and that I was so happy with my my social life and my music, et cetera, that I didn't need that. And I kind of pitied other people. But then when I experienced it, I thought, wow, this is actually the most amazing thing in the world. Totally. And like, did you, you realize there was connection there and then like, what happened? Did you, did you confess or like reveal this? Definitely. Uh, Yeah. That must've been intense. It was very intense. I confessed and revealed it. And then, I mean, basically it just, it ended up kind of blowing up my whole social world for a little bit because we were such a tight knit group of friends and Mm. 
It was just a really dramatic situation. Fuck. Luckily, in the end, I mean, we were really young. We were 19 yeah, or 20. Sure. So in the end, you know, a year later, everything was fine and everybody mm-hmm. was friends again. But at the time, it was, it was for me just like such an unforeseen, upsetting experience. Yeah. What strikes me about that is like, I guess it was just so strong and powerful that you had to do it. Like you had to make it known. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, I, I don't feel like I had, I don't feel like I had any choice. Like, mm-hmm. I, oh, I, I had a choice mm-hmm. of that I could have gone on pretending right. that, it, that it wasn't there, that nothing was happening. But if I'd done that, I think I would have just stayed in the shadows, like, secretly wishing that this person would be with me. And in the end, it's, he wasn't with me anyway, but at least mm-hmm. I like went all the way through the emotional cycle. And I think both of us grew from it. So, uh, but it was, it definitely established a pattern of pursuing unavailable men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then from him all the way from that age, 19 or 20 to 35, when I met the mm-hmm. next significant guy mm-hmm. where I felt that same thing that was unmistakably love or unmistakably mysterious that felt like Mm -hmm. it chose me until all the way until then I was just like many scenarios of sexual relationships with guys that were not true love relationships more like entanglements that were very emotionally charged but but also kind of always keeping with this pattern of unavailable men even though they were most of them Mm. actually identifying as gay Right, right. With a small mix of yeah, <laughs> a confused men who were who were wanting to experiment or whatever, but not identifying as gay. Well, like yeah, and I feel like stereotypically, right, like gay men aren't necessarily looking for what you were looking for, or looking right? for like a true uh, monogamous romance. Yeah, I think that you're right. That is the stereotype, mm-hmm. but I feel that that is a stereotype that has been speaking my, from my own experience that yes. has been thrust upon gay men, whether or not that's really what their heart wants. Sure. I remember recently I was watching that documentary gay sex in the seventies and they're interviewing these guys talking about this kind of golden age of sexual exploration in New York just before AIDS. And they're talking about being in the bathhouses and how incredible it was and like how many people you meet in one night. And there's one of the guys, he's there with his longtime partner who he actually met in the bathhouse. But mm. he, he said, in all of those times, like no matter how much fun I was having, even though if I can't, I wish I could remember the exact quote, but he basically said, through all those experiences, I always knew deep down that I was looking for the one. And that's, I think, like one of the things that gets missed is that in some ways it does feel like one of the kind of trade-offs of being born gay is that you don't have to exist in this like prescribed heteronormative monogamous like set path that, of course, you don't have to exist in if you're straight, but it's kind of auto-suggested to you, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. And, And for a lot of gay people, especially until we had gay marriage and stuff. It wasn't only not auto suggested, right. it was auto refused. Oh, <laughs> so it was yeah. like one of the benefits is kind of that you get to live outside of that. And in a way, like you can, it does feel justified to enjoy some more hedonism and mm, more freedom in general. Totally. But I think in the end, like all human beings 
are looking for love because I think it's just our natural state. So, yeah. so that's really like what the heart is longing for. And I mean, Chris, our therapist, when I, I've talked to him <laughs> a lot about like how sometimes when people gender or orientation, um, regardless of that, how, how they identify the, when people are looking for sex, mm. what they are actually looking for is love is to be held. Mm-hmm. is to kind of relax into the arms of the mother or the nurturer. Yeah. But it presents as like, you think like, oh, I can get that feeling by engaging in sex with somebody. Right. Yeah. Chris Man. calls it the mother wound. Yeah. I mean, I can think of so many examples from my life of like being consumed by an energy Mm-hmm. with someone and it's like i don't know i don't i don't really like speak about or think about love in as reverent of a way as you do i think that is like notable about you mm. is like you you have this strong like um yeah belief or ideology around like what is the essence of love and uh i mean for me like yeah there was just a lot of times where my anxious attachment like sprung to life and i was chasing the mother wound i think but just like through a dysfunctional path or something. You mean like through dating apps and stuff? I was just, I'm, I guess I'm just speaking about my attachment stuff because there was plenty of times where I was like, like, uh, if I'm really taking a step back, this person I'm totally fixated on is not necessarily a good partner for me. I don't know like that I think there's that much potential, but I like can't think about anything else. Yeah. Um, And I want that feeling of being held by them Mm -hmm. really deeply. Yeah. You know, so I don't even really know how to think about that. But as that, so as that pattern was happening where you were finding yourself drawn towards, yeah, emotionally unavailable people, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, how are you reckoning with that? Or like, like, did it change? That's a really long period, like 15 years that you're talking about. I know. That's crazy. (laughs) Did it change? Well, being, going back to my idea that this idea that love have has a life or a mind of its own. I would say that with the next guy at age 35, or actually I think I was 36, I felt like once again, it chose me kind of mm-hmm. so that I could learn a lesson. If I had to find a reason for that experience, mm-hmm. I would say, and I really did like, like when I got together with him, it felt so magical and so predestined and completely hit me out of nowhere. Like I'd known him for two or three years right. already at that point. Yeah. Zero thought of romantic connection. And then one day, boom, undeniable for me and everybody around us. And I thought, yeah, this is it. I finally found my person for the rest yeah. of my life. And when it ended, what was that? I mean, like three months later or something. Right. It was so, so devastating. But mm. from that, like then started reading all the books about codependency and mm-hmm. learning what that word even actually meant mm-hmm. and just umpteen kinds of therapy from that that really caused me to get my shit together in all areas of my life get my career reignited mm-hmm. so many gifts that came out of that mm-hmm. that i of course could not see at the time at the time when he Stop talking to me. I just wanted to die. You know, that was intense. I remember you unfortunately bore witness to my, to my absolute rock bottom. That that whole situation was just so wildly specific. Yeah. But you know, yet again, was another, it was another instance of a person who, and this is, I would say another person who basically had never been with a man before. Right. And 
I always like to like leave room for, you know, it's like not good to p- put people's um, sexuality or sexual orientation in a box. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to like build up this defense. Like mm-hmm. if he hasn't been with a man before, like there's no way it can go anywhere. Yeah. Cause that is like a shitty way to think about life. Yeah. And I don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I obviously know people who are truly yeah. identifies queer or bisexual, but right. um, in this case, I do feel like, the whatever family or societal shame he had yeah. around that kind of was a hindrance and it's blossoming. But it was in, in any case, you know, for a number of reasons, it was still the pattern of just in general, somebody being unavailable. Right. But I feel like there was an element to it and tell me if I'm wrong, of like, it was so beautiful that like something was being awakened in him yeah. in this connection. And it is beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, one of the huge lessons with him, and I think it applies to so many people who feel yeah. like they're constantly pursuing someone they can't have, or they're in these situations mm-hmm. where it's high drama and it feels like you're waiting for somebody to mm-hmm. like wake up and see the light is that the definition of somebody being available is not just them being single. Like the definition mm-hmm. of somebody being available is them like actively wanting to go on a growth journey with you and you now that I'm with an available person, it is like night and day Mm. now that I, I see it so clearly now. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who's like similar to you, but younger, who's Uh like, has a pattern of like, I go after these people and I'm caught like being the one trying to make this happen. And I'm like kind of right. holding, like juggling the whole thing. And like, they're kind of just eluding me. Well, f- first I would say that all, I mean, this is not an idea I came up with, but something I read somewhere in this long, <laughs> long mm-hmm. journey of, mm-hmm. of the last however many years of my life is that pursuing unavailable people feels like something that's happening to you. Mm. Feels like, well, I don't know. It's not my fault. Like I met this person and I can't explain it. It just like this spark just happened between us and it's a fucked up situation, but blah, blah, blah. In reality, like that is actually, it's, it's a, it's an expression of a lack of self-worth. Like there is a thing in, in mm. choosing to engage or gauge with or date or continue to pursue somebody who you know is a losing battle. Mm-hmm. It's that you are unconsciously setting yourself up to feel bad. You're setting yourself up to be hurt and you know it deep down. And so this is that what they say about all people who pursue unavailable people is that it's really, is that, you know, even though it feels like what would make it feel better would be right. like, why can't I just meet a great guy? Mm-hmm. And then it would hypothetically not be lonely anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I deserve to be loved, but it's this weird thing where it, it really is a change on the inside that is required to change the seeking behavior. Yeah. I totally buy that. Like I noticed that <sighs> I noticed that in my own life, like, and so yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I feel like I'm addicted to stress and excitement, but like there is something about having someone where you're like, they're like the apple of your eye. And it's like, it feels so real because it is familiar, Mm -hmm. I guess. And like getting sucked into it and like becoming consumed by it is just very intoxicating. 
but it's like you're kind of in a way it's like holding it is a bit of a mirror to like how you were taking care of yourself in that it's like would your like greater self like your whole self like your kind of wise self mm-hmm. consent to putting yourself through this really stressful like right hurtful experience yeah. or not and like for many people the answer is yes because we are we do have wounds like this that like get activated you're saying like in no, order okay. I, to I grow you wrong. have to activate the wounds no i'm not saying that i, I mean d- that's probably true though but yeah that I probably so. is like that if you if you start relating with mm-hmm. people then undoubtedly it's the it's like yeah the, that is what causes the wounds to be activated especially romantic relationships above all because they're the closest course. thing to the original yeah. infant um, nurture relationship but it's but that like the difference is that when you get to the point where the wounds get activated but you deal with them consciously right and you understand that it's a wound arising in you triggered by that mm-hmm. person not caused by that person yeah well i guess what i was trying to say is like most people would consent to it in the moment like practically but like if they were able to like see oh, it from a from yeah. a bird's eye view or whatever remove themselves from themselves for mm-hmm. a second then like you would see how destructive of a pattern that is but it's right. really hard to see it in the moment it's like like so many people, especially when you're young, are just kind of like, all right, I'll take it, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's because you think that that's what love is. Totally. I mean, that's the popular idea, right? Yes. And so it takes, well, I would say it takes, um, I think it takes understanding your true aloneness to start relating differently. You know, like yeah. understanding this idea that even in a relationship, I mean, I don't know because I'm not, I'm only in movie two, but not for that long. And I've never <laughs> been married for decades, decades, blah, blah, blah. But like, n- no matter what your mm-hmm. scenario, that you are technically always alone mm-hmm. and that you're developing this inner peace is kind of the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing, basically what Chris would say, like, to be ideally in a constant state of meditation to where you're always identifying with the witness, always watching the things that are happening kind of move through you, watching your emotions move through you, but yeah. always knowing that you have this, this, um, yeah, this place of peace inside you mm-hmm. that you can recenter on. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think of like that. Pema Chodron book title of like the wisdom of no escape in terms Mm -hmm. of like, I think we feel like we can escape ourselves through external things like we were talking about, like sexual validation, like, you know, kind of more dysfunctional forms of intimacy. But like, it's definitely taken me being in a healthy relationship where I know my partner is not like causing dysfunction in my life. You know, I like my, like Justin, she is very like, intentional and like available spacious she's very like caring and loving Mm -hmm. towards me so i'm able to feel my own stuff come up and um just know that it's not this isn't about her this is about me even Mm -hmm. though it feels severe yeah does that make sense so it's like i'm feeling my aloneness more deeply than i ever have yeah in movie two 
Yeah. <laughs> Movie two, aloneness. <laughs> All right, so let's jump ahead. So now you have a partner who is interested in going on this journey, like you said. So yeah, like, you know, this is a thing you've coveted mm-hmm. for years. Right, that's right. And it's, you have it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's cool. It's incredible. (laughs) I mean, I really do. Ethan and I always say that we really do feel like we manifested each other. Yeah. And I know manifest is a very contentious word, I think. (laughs) I think probably some people, they hear that word and just instantly they just hit the skip button. But I think like, I think if we can, I mean, I don't want to like. I don't want to criticize anybody's particular version of manifestation, but I think if we can take it out of the realm of imagining that you're casting a spell. Right. Well, yeah. What are you saying then? So what I'm, what I'm saying, what what you're saying is that (laughs) I think you can like, if your consciousness is necessarily linked with all of existence, then you can kind of view it as like, you're encountering the things that you need for your growth. And so like your level of internal health, like that's what you could, you know, like the John Bradshaw definition of your spirituality is um, uh, your inner life. Mm-hmm. That the more, the more, yeah, the healthier you are inside, then most likely what's happening in your external life is going to kind of mirror that, you know, Mm. that does seem to be the case. Yeah. I'm not saying that I have a foolproof mathematical formula for it, but it it feels like, well, it basically feels like if you're trying to manifest anything in your life, that really it's, it's that you need to work on yourself. If you're trying to manifest anything in your life, the answer is like working on yourself. Generally. Yeah, the answer is working on yourself and mm-hmm. then taking right action. Right. That seems to me to be the deal that like if I'm trying to like for example when I was trying to manifest a boyfriend for so many years unsuccessfully and kept manifesting all of these unavailable men, mm-hmm. you know, in the end it was like well, until I was really willing to dig into my psychology and to actually change so many aspects of my life and to get my shit together and basically get myself to a point where I didn't feel like I needed somebody. Right. Uh, You know, at the most basic description, didn't feel like I had this hole inside Mm -hmm. of me. And I'm not saying I've completely cured it. You know, I still feel it sometimes, but like not feeling like I was just walking around with this big need, basically believing that I couldn't take care of myself. And that in a way, like after working on all that stuff that, because I remember saying to Chris in, you know, some session, like, I'm doing that. Where is he? Like, where is Mm -hmm. my guy? Right. Mm -hmm. And Chris was like, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) He's like, the way it works is you work on yourself. Mm. You figure out, what your values are, my ducks, as mm-hmm. he called them. You mm-hmm. get your ducks in a row and you go out dating, bring your ducks with you. And then you have to not accept the things that do not respect your ducks. So even yeah. after I'd kind of felt like I'd worked a lot of myself and was like ready for a real relationship, I had still a number of false starts with these guys that I mm-hmm. kept meeting who were, seemed so right at first. Mm-hmm but we're actually unavailable and it would just really test my, my, um, I don't, I guess my strength, you know, I had mm-hmm. this one guy that was like, 
it seemed so great at first and just really quickly I could tell he wasn't telling me the truth and he yeah. was trying to like kind of keep me at arm's length but didn't want to lose me and I just kept having to say no over and over and over and over wow. and it hurt so much. Wow. I was so devastated but it was really like okay like if my first duck is that this person has to be willing yeah. to work on stuff as it arises. The second yeah. duck being that they need to be emotionally honest. And I can't remember the third duck, but basically he failed all three ducks. <laughs> but basically that even though I wanted it so badly, yeah. I wanted to like keep pursuing him and keep picking up on the little breadcrumbs that I had to say no about four times because he would reappear in wow. text form every two or three weeks. I mean, yeah, I know. Like, well, that was, I was like so zealous about when my nine-year relationship ended and I virtually had not spent any time alone up until that point because I went straight from college into this like really enmeshed relationship. I was like, yeah, like I don't get how people can marry or like stay with the person that they link up with when they're so young because mm -hmm. that feeling of wandering through the woods by yourself right. is kind of like not like anything else and there's another type of no yeah. escape it's just like okay like mm -hmm. i'm gonna like eat shit for a while and like right. um at some point get tired of that right um i mean maybe some people do it successfully in relationship yeah from a young age but i would mostly agree with you like i, right. I don't I mean, my story is obviously way different than that, but I, <laughs> yeah. but I, I don't understand it either. I think it would be, I think it would be a different feeling. Right. But pretty compelling that have that experience mm -hmm. of like, cause now that I'm in a relationship, I'm like, oh, this is like a whole other right. set of experiences that I could not figure out by myself either. Right. Or like, you yeah. know, I'd be confronted with mm -hmm. if I wasn't in this situation. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's relationship you like, huh. like anything surprising so far? Um, hmm. I guess, uh, well, I don't know if this really answers the question of what relationship me is like, but I guess one of the most surprising things is just how much, um, bravery it takes hmm. because I find that, that in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it's, it's easier to be single. Mm -hmm. Even though that seemed when I was single for so, for, you know, so, so, so many years and I just felt so envious of every friend I had in a relationship, you realize that once you're in a relationship and especially if you live with the person that like the times when you run, want to run away, when you are mm -hmm. triggered and you don't feel like being fully exposed that you forget that back then when you were single, you could just, yeah. you just leave the party and go home and. I don't know, watch something on TV or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, or go to yeah. a bar and meet some friends. And then mm -hmm. it was, you don't have to like continually show up to this thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing about real commitment is that you do have to continually show up. And mm -hmm. even if you can't talk about it anymore that night, the next morning you have to talk about mm -hmm. it and you have to like work through it. And then so far, it seems like every time we do work through it, I feel just even closer to him mm. and even happier to be in the relationship. But the feeling of when it is tense and when it feels rocky or yeah, when basically when a problem comes up, the feeling of anxiety can just be so intense and feel so unrelenting. Yes.
I so relate to that. And it's like, yeah, and it's not like when it arises, you know you're necessarily going to get there, like in your um, nervous system. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think you can kind of believe that that's going to happen, but like it, it is like, yeah, I just feel like, again, really like getting my ass kicked in a way because it's like, just I feel like Justin and I got into our relationship in a way where we're like, well, we're both, we've both been in a lot of therapy. Right. We uh, really know ourselves like so much more from having had these like kind of blunders in the past mm-hmm. and like are both totally like sharing the values like you're saying. So like what could go wrong? You right, know? But yeah, then yeah. it's like when it does happen and you see like how, you know, some things are little, like some issues conflicts are little like but some are like require bigger investigation of yourself you know what i mean they're not like short-term projects necessarily Mm -hmm. and like this high stakes of that of like okay but like this feels really high stakes this is like a person that i thought you know i was totally equipped to work through this and like in the moment i feel not that way at all yeah 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 well i guess uh I always think of right when I first met Ethan and in one of my sessions with Chris was saying, I can't remember what issue I was having, but I was saying, yeah, like, you know, I feel like X, Y, Z isn't really working, but like deep down, I do feel that it's like the right thing to, that we're supposed to make this work to try and be together. It was like very early days. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying to me, he said, the thing is you just don't trust love yet. He's like, see, there's you and there's Ethan and there's the combination of you and Ethan. And it's that like, and I said, well, is it correct to think of love as a kind of impersonal bridge? And he's like, yeah, it's kind of like that. That there's the love he was, you know, as we talked about, he says it's like being visited by the God of love. Mm -hmm. The love is there. And in his words, that the God of love demands total honesty. That it's like, whatever's coming up, that love is inviting you to talk about it with mm-hmm. that partner, to share it and to work through it, which will cause both of you to grow mm-hmm. despite being uncomfortable. Yeah. And then the love is stronger. But that it is like, that's what helps me a lot when I'm in, when I'm in a state of not knowing what to do with something in our relationship or it feels rocky. It actually really helps me to just think of, okay. I trust that love is what is calling me to this and that it's important to go through this. Yeah. I mean, there's times where I, yeah, it's like, I just feel like I don't like the version of myself that's coming out. Have you had that experience? (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Like I really, that's what feels painful is like, she's seeing something in me and it's like, there's no like trickery that will get me out of it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm my old tricks, I guess, of like being people pleasing or like charming, like funny, like they don't apply at some point. Right. You know, it's like, you're kind of beyond that. Yeah. No, they definitely don't apply. (laughs) It's definitely like using your personality to try and make something better in an actually intimate relationship simply does not work. It's really calling you to I mean, actually, and Ethan is so great about this because he is like such a, um, such an authentic person that like, he just wants me to tell him the truth. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of times where I want to lie mm-hmm. and just not like huge lies, but I want to lie a little for sure. To, and even which you can, you know, by the Enneagram definition, you can even say that charm is a form of lie. Oh, <laughs> like wow. I want to lie a little to protect him or to just put, to smooth out this situation a little bit. And he just wants me to tell him the truth. Yeah. And it, it just can take a while to learn that that's real, I guess. Right. Yeah, like, because, yeah, man, I just feel like sometimes I really don't want to say what's going on. And then every time it is kind of surprising when you do say it, it doesn't necessarily feel good the moment of saying it. But then you realize, like, okay, like calling something out and like acknowledging what's really going on is like such a like such a relief. Yeah, I think it's the only way. Yeah, I think it just becomes more and more obvious that that there just isn't room for anything in life but the truth that it, at like the tr- at the at the truest level no really like at the deepest level not telling the truth is always a waste of time yeah so i, I guess like i'm curious for your situation like with justin there were early stumbling blocks like there were early moments of like hmm something coming up of one was just me not me obviously having discomfort and anxiety and like uh, avoidance uh-huh. but like and like being in a funk basically right and not saying it and like she called me out and was like what's going on and it was like a point of a bit of like loss of trust where the fact that she had to be the one to like pull it out of me mm-hmm. made her trust me a little less in that moment and our early points of tension like our kind of core tensions like they have seeds were planted early on and like they've like evolved, but they are something we still kind of work with. Yeah. Do you have like, were there certain things that seem like early on, I don't know, that you could tell or like as it's gone on that you can tell or kind of like, all right, when we're going to like hit a rough patch, it's usually kind of around this right. type of thing. I know the answer is definitely yes. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let me think of what they are. I guess one thing is this. It kind of is completely related to this, what we were talking about a second ago, which is that I kind of come from the the standpoint that that it's like always better to do whatever it takes to make everybody in a room feel comfortable. And so, yeah, like sometimes even when like I'm saying Ethan wants me to just tell the truth, it's like I just want I just want the tension to be gone. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like I want him to want that, too. Oh. And part of me is like, why can't like, like, why can't we just all like kind of fake it till we make it for the next two hours or whatever it is? Like, why can't we all just live like that? Yeah. Yeah. You're saying like (laughs) he's going, he's not going to be like misrepresenting his experience. He's right for the sake of like being easy breezy or people pleasing. Exactly. And yeah. And that is, I feel like that is a a thing that, that comes up and. It's kind of just pretty indicative of the difference in our personalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of like a bit of a version of like wanting to control your partner in some way, like make them a little bit more like that. So how long have you been together now? It's funny. The way I'm taught, you'd think it'd be like 10 years. It's only, (laughs) it'll be about to be a year. It's been an, it's been a pretty involved year though. (laughs) It's been an involved year because we were long distance for the first, you know, nine months of that year. So we were just... Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing each other every three weeks. and But I, I do feel like, I feel like both of us, when we met, yeah, that we were both just really available. That Even when, you know, kind of every trip when we would see each other, 
there'd be a lot of happy parts and there would be this like kind of mm-hmm. difficult issues that would arise and we'd have to work through it and would not be pleasant. Mm-hmm. And it would happen at least one of them every trip. But we both say at the end that after that we felt closer to each other. Mm-hmm. And I just both felt like, and I currently continue to feel that we're both so up for the challenge. Mm-hmm, totally. That we're up for it. Like that we're just like, show up to it because of, I mean, I can't speak for him, but I experienced just as once again, this trusting the love, mm-hmm. but just this trust in the thing itself. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like the whole thesis of this podcast is like, be with, like really choose a partner who is down for it. Like who really like ultimately is going to choose the path of knowing each other more deeply right. and knowing yeah. yourself more deeply as opposed to being in a power struggle, I guess. Right. You know, because it does feel like many relationships are kind of um, defined by a power struggle. Yeah, I think it's, I guess they would say like choosing somebody who views partnership as a path to spiritual growth, mm-hmm. basically. And um, yeah, and I, and I think also choosing somebody who, I, I wish I could remember the name of this this guy He's a therapist. He has a podcast. He's gay. I can't remember his name, but I hope after we finish and when you edit this that we can yeah. put a note in there. Yeah, sure. With it, Sarah, who has also been on this podcast, sent it to me and she's like, you have to listen to this guy. Cool. And he was talking about the difficulties of dating and especially, you know, I think he's in his 50s or 60s, like lived in New York at the time when when there was a lot of, you know, like pre-AIDS and during the AIDS crisis, like just, um yeah, just a different time for gay men and how his struggle to find a long-term romantic mm-hmm. partner and that he went through this long period of, of working on himself. And I remember him saying that what he ultimately had to do was to discover his own goodness. And that once he discovered his own goodness, that that changed how he was looking for people. And he, I think he met his partner kind of shortly after that, but I'd so relate to that. Like with, like with Ethan, I feel like, I mean, I still have trouble accessing my knowledge of my own goodness sometimes, but when I did enough work on myself to where I could experience my own goodness, I see that Ethan is so sweet Mm -hmm. and so good to me and so supportive. And I see how that's a reflection of, you know, like you can only invite that into your life if you can discover that inside of yourself and how like having somebody as wonderful as him in my life is, is, uh, yeah, I think it's only possible by kind of going on a journey of healing. So you said that that first heartbreak, like, led to you writing a bunch of music like this is almost kind of like a bookend like have you been writing music about the relationship yet i have yeah yeah cool how's that feel well i haven't i haven't written like a straight up just full-blown obvious love song (laughs) yet and i love you babe song oh wait that's funny i was about to sing the generational song so i tour with them oh (laughs) i love you baby um Uh, no, I have not written a straight up, a straight up love song. I have written though, um, kind of in a number of the new Vox Trot mm-hmm. songs is stuff about how this, this new chapter of being in a true relationship feels like the next big adventure for me. Yeah. How this is like, it's kind of like leaving behind some long period of my life that was more like where the mm-hmm. adventures felt based in hedonism and mm-hmm. like 
who is the next person I'll meet and where's the next place I'll go and like what cool thing will I be invited to and it's a bit more now like I can tell that the adventure is internal or the adventure is in the relationship and in the opening up to that yeah I mean I know we've talked about Krish a lot but I just like kind of can't say enough he's the best of like Krish and his partner Amana like you just don't hear those types of voices very much of like an older couple um who is telling you like you know there is something for you here if you really mm-hmm. are available to it you know and it's right. it's like it can go very deep you know i just feel like <laughs> i mean there's so much just societal like cynicism about marriage and like right. and long term relationships and like humor around like i hate my fucking husband or whatever <laughs> exactly. you know it's just like <laughs> it's so different to get that from someone like that that's our show thanks for joining us our music is by nightlight we self-produce this podcast so please subscribe rate and review it really helps